<laughs> if you come to church at Silver Creek Fellowship for any length of time at all, you probably heard me say, I do not want this to be a nice church. I want it to be a dangerous church. I want this church to be dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. I want this church to be dangerous to the status quo. The kind of thinking that says, we've never done it that way before. One of my very favorite verses in all the Bible gives a vivid description of what New Testament life was like. Paul and Silas have showed up in the city of Thessalonica. It says in Acts 17, 6, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. That's what I want to do. I want to turn the world upside down. I want to turn Silverton upside down. Listen, friends, our town needs to be turned upside down. There are too many things that aren't right in our town. There's too much sin. There's too much sickness. There's too much divorce. There's too much depression. There's too much debt. There's too much cancer. There's too much internet porn. There's too much homelessness. There's too many people that are living selfish, sinful, independent lives. Not only that, there are too many people in our town that are headed for hell. And either they don't know it or they don't care. And I want to do something about it. I want to be part of a church that's doing something about it, a church that turns the world upside down. Friends, this world needs to be turned upside down. Nothing works right anymore. God's perfect creation has been corrupted. It's been screwed up by sin. And I want to do something about it. But to do something about it takes more than just talk. It'll take energy. It'll take effort. It'll take commitment. It will take passion. But more than that, it will take people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. One of the things that Jesus told his followers was that he was going to send the Holy Spirit who would fill them with power. Listen to what he said, Luke 24, 19. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with, say it with me, power from on high. Did you get that power from on high? Not just our own strength, not just our own abilities. Jesus said he wants to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of heaven, power from on high. The same power, the Bible tells us, that raised Jesus from the dead, God wants to fill us with. But the power didn't just come so that we'd be a powerful people, it would be so that we would accomplish powerful things. Jesus said in his great commission to the church in Matthew 28, Jesus came to them and said, all, there's that word again, all say it with me, power, come on. All power in heaven and on earth is given to me. So go and make disciples of all people in the world. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have taught you, and I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. The mandate of Jesus is to take the good news and change the world with it. I, I don't know what you signed up for, but that's what I signed up for when I became a Christian. I signed up for God's great mission to change the world, and it's going to be an adventure. Every great thing that ever gets done in this world is done by passionate people. Moderate 
people get moderately nothing done. You know who said that? I did. I like to think of myself as a bit of an adventurer. I like to go to new places, try new experiences, eat new things. One time I got a thing in the mail from the Woodburn Outlet Mall. It said, Passport to Adventure. I was kind of excited to open it up. And what it was was a bunch of coupons from department stores. I'm sorry, going to a shopping mall is not my idea of adventure. Our country was built on the spirit of adventure. Explorers, pioneers, trailblazers, entrepreneurs. America was a, was a story of adventure. But today, most people seem more interested in security than adventure. Have you ever noticed all those warning labels that, that are on literally everything that is sold on television? Uh, TV commercials selling prescription drugs give you about 10 seconds of what the drug can do. The rest of the commercial tells you that it'll probably kill you if you take it. One ad for a sleep aid called Lunesta says, Lunesta will help you fall asleep and stay asleep. But the warning label that pops on says, warning, Lunesta may cause drowsiness. I mean, that's amazing. Who would have thought a sleeping pill might cause drowsiness? I mean, we got warning signs all around them. I like this next one. Look at this one that comes up. Look at this next one that comes up there. Caution, this sign has sharp edges. Read the little fine print at the bottom. Also, the bridge is out ahead. We just aren't into adventure much anymore. And um, I think one of the real issues is, that's happening is over the last 30 years or so, our government has taken an effort to remove just about every risk that we could possibly face. So there's very little risk and maximum boredom. On top of that, we're just getting older. One-third of all Americans are baby boomers. People like me, people born between 1946 and 1964, <clears throat> are moving from middle age into old age. And it's often a time that you stop becoming interested in, in adventure and you start being more concerned about stability. The goal for many people at my stage of life is to be mellow. I don't know about you, I don't want to be mellow. Several years ago, I attended a church conference in Los Angeles. The city was in the midst of a severe water crisis, so they were asking everyone to conserve water. So the hotel, which was a really nice hotel that we were staying in, had a sign above the toilet that said, if it's yellow, let it mellow. No! Mellow is obnoxious to me. Let me tell you what mellow is. Mellow is the stage a banana reaches just before it becomes inedible. When you get mellow, it means in about 30 seconds, you're going to go bad and you're going to start stinking. I don't want to be mellow. I've never wanted to be mellow. Whatever happened to the idea of doing something great? Whatever happened to the spirit of adventure? Daniel 11.32 says, The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. See, I think one of the problems in our country is too many people have been affected with the vanilla syndrome. They're the kind of people that go to Baskin-Robbins 31 Flavors and order vanilla. But that's just wrong. That is a mortal sin. That is not the way God designed you to live. Jesus said this, John 10, 10. Let me read it from the Amplified. I came that you might have and enjoy life 
and have it in abundance to the fullest till it overflows. If you're taking notes today, I want you to circle enjoy life. Jesus says life is meant to be enjoyed, not just endured. God created you for adventure. God put the spirit of adventure in you. Now, it, it might be buried. Maybe it's been blocked by past hurts. But if you're a human, if you're still alive, the reason that you're here is because God created you and wants you to do something with your life. Notice what John 10.10 says, that you may have and enjoy life, and you will have it in abundance, and you will have it to the fullest till it overflows. Now, just be honest for a minute. As a believer in Jesus Christ, does that describe your life? Are you living life to the fullest? Are you overflowing in abundance? Are you living on the edge, or, or would you be more? No, more, no, my life's more kind of like that old Geritol ad. I got iron poor, tired blood. I got the heartbreak of psoriasis. Now, how do you, how do you live the life that Jesus offered? How do you live? to the fullest, overflowing, in abundance, on the edge. How do you make, what some people say, how do you make the rest of your life the best of your life? Well, if you want to know, you're at the right place today because I got the answer. The, to live a life of adventure, there's just one word in the Bible. It's the word faith. In the Bible, the, the spirit of adventure is faith. Faith is what makes the difference between living life to the fullest and just getting by, just existing. One of the great collections of adventures in the Bible is found in Hebrews chapter 11. Many of the women at Silver Creek Fellowship are studying the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews 11 is kind of God's hall of fame of faith. It's kind of a who's who of adventurers in the Bible, of risk takers. Today I want to look briefly at three characters, at Noah, Abraham, Moses. <clears throat> Discover some principles that if you follow, it will make your life an adventure. And I guarantee this, if you live your life built on these principles, you'll find a new spark. You'll find a new vitality. Uh, you, you, you get a new spring in your step, and you'll find a reason to get out of the bed in the morning, and your life will become an adventure if you'll live by faith the way these guys did. The first principle is this. Obey God immediately, even when I don't understand it. Hebrews eleven seven said, It was by faith that made Noah hear God's warning about the thing in the future that he could not see. He obeyed God and built a boat in which he and his family were saved. I want you to notice something. Faith and obey, they go together. R.T. Kendall wrote a great book called Believing God, and he gives a very simple definition of faith. He said this, faith is believing God enough to do what he says. Imagine this, one day God comes to you. He says, I don't like the way things are working out here in the world, so I'm going to start all over again. I'm going to flood it. I'm going to kill off everything, start again with just you and your family. I want you to build a boat, Noah. I'll bring in all the animals. You and your family all get on board. I'm going to take you for the ride of your life. Now, what do you think you'd do? Do you think you'd have a few questions? Do you think you might have a couple of doubts? Some concerns? Well, apparently... Noah didn't doubt, and he didn't complain, and he didn't argue, and he didn't delay. What did Noah do? He obeyed. Noah obeyed obediently, even though he didn't understand, and he had the adventure of a lifetime. And then <clears throat> next is Abraham. Hebrews 11.8 says, it was faith that made Abraham obey 
when God called him to come to a country he had promised to him. He left his own country without knowing where he was going. I want you to notice again, faith and obey. Abraham was 75 years old. That's older than me. And God comes to him and says, you think you're ready for retirement, Abe? Not hardly. Get ready for the great adventure of your life. I want you to pack up everything you've got, move to a new country. Now, you need to understand, Abraham was fabulously wealthy. And he was living a life of ease in a, in a city called Ur of the Chaldees. So what does Abraham do? Well, he packs up everything and heads out. He asks God, hey, God, how am I going to know when I get there? God says, I'll tell you. Now, I don't know about you. I don't think that's a very helpful answer. Because I think Sarah is going to have a couple questions for Abraham. I'm thinking if I went home and tried this on Kathy, she'd have a couple questions. Tell you when I get there isn't, doesn't seem to be the answer anyone would be looking at. But Abraham doesn't complain. He doesn't argue. He doesn't question. He just went. I'm wondering, would you do that? Abraham obeyed immediately even when he didn't understand. And that's what faith is. And that's what makes it an adventure. What's, what's the result? Abraham becomes the father of a great nation. He becomes the father of the family of faith. And God blessed the whole world through him, and continues to bless the world through his offspring coming right down to you. In um, 1988, I was farming with my dad and my brother Herb. We're just minding our own business, raising our families, living a nice life. We were happily attending a nice church, church we loved. And then God rocked our world. He called a group of us to plant a new church, this church. To be honest, we had about the same amount of experience in church planting as Noah did in boat building, or that Abraham had in nation building, which was none at all. It was something none of us had ever done. We had no money, no building, no resources. All we had was God's instruction. So what did we do? Well, we had faith and we obeyed. Silver Creek Fellowship didn't start with all the stuff we've got today. We didn't start with the, the building or the property or the people or the staff or the worship band or Mission of Hope and Kids Church. We didn't start with any of that stuff. And we're not here because some genius laid out a wonderful plan that was really pre-thought out. We didn't hire a consultant that said, do this and this and this. No, Silver Creek Fellowship was started with faith and with simple, small steps of obedience. We obey God. 35 years later... Well, you're here as a result. God honors faith and obedience, even when you don't understand it, even when it doesn't make sense to you, even when it seems impossible. But here's something you need to know. Every time there's a command from God, it's for your benefit. He wants to bless you. Every time there's a command where God says, do this, he's testing your faith to see if you're going to trust him. He does it for your good. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You believe that? Every time God tells you to do something, it's a test of your faith. It's a test of who am I going to trust? Am I going to trust my fears or am I going to trust my faith? Am I going to trust God or am I going to trust my gut feeling? Am I going to go with what God's word says to do, even when it seems 
impossible, illogical? Am I going to do what I feel is the right thing to do? How many of you know this? Feelings can be wrong. A lot of times, God tells you to do something you don't feel like doing. For instance, forgiveness doesn't always feel like that great of a thing to do. But God says, forgive people. It's the right thing to do. In the long run, you'll be blessed by it. Here's, here's the point I want to make. If you learn to do whatever God asks you to do without questioning it, without even understanding it, even when it seems illogical, even irrational, then you'll live by faith, and you will experience the greatest adventure of your life. One time I asked Kathy, did God ever ask you to do something that you didn't understand and that seemed totally absurd to you? She said, yes, he told me to marry you. <laughs> and she's been in an adventure for a lifetime. God says, do you want to live a life of adventure? Then do it immediately. The second thing, trust completely, even when I don't feel like it. It's the example of Moses. Hebrews eleven twenty four. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called Pharaoh's grandson. He chose to suffer with God's people instead of enjoying sin for a short time. He thought it was better to suffer for Christ than to have all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking for God's reward. By faith, he left Egypt, and he wasn't afraid of the king's anger. Moses' life was one of the most exciting adventures in all of history. Moses' life is so dramatic, so exciting, they, they even made a movie about him starring Charlton Heston. And, and Moses had to make some pretty difficult choices. And the scripture says he chose discomfort over comfort. And the result of that was the adventure of a lifetime. Moses was a Hebrew child. He was living in captivity in Egypt. But the Hebrew slaves began to outnumber the Egyptian, and Pharaoh feared that a result was imminent. So Pharaoh decreed all Hebrew baby boys should be drowned at birth. To escape certain death, his mother placed him in a basket, put him in the Nile River, where Pharaoh's daughter found him, took him and raised him up as an Egyptian. So here's Moses. He's raised as an Egyptian, but he's a Hebrew. But when he grew up, when he came to maturity, he had to make a decision on his own. Who am I? What am I? Am I, a, am I an Egyptian or am I a Jew? This is really a big decision, this decision of identity. If he said, I'm an Egyptian, it meant he'd, he would have lived with fame and fortune and prestige and pleasure. Just about everything we spend our life trying to get. But to say I'm a Jew, well, it meant he'd have to live with the Hebrew slaves in poverty with no guarantee of anything. But Moses said, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to trust God, even when I don't feel like it. He chose to live with the slaves. And because of that, God took him on an amazing adventure. Can you just imagine if Moses had made the wrong choice? I mean, I guess he'd just be some Egyptian mummy in a museum somewhere. But everybody knows about Moses. Why? because he chose to trust God completely. The truth is, I don't always feel like doing the right things, do you? I don't always like being nice to people. I don't always feel like putting my wife's needs above my own. I don't always feel like reading the Bible or praying. I don't always feel like forgiving people. Be honest a minute, do you? Do you always feel like those things? Oh, I'm just the best guy. I just always feel that way. No, I don't. But I know this, feelings are highly unreliable. The world has told us, base everything on what you do, 
on your feelings. If it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it. But God says, don't base your life on feelings. Base your life on faith. And if you do, it'll make your life a real adventure. Now, here's the point of all this. If you will trust God even when you don't feel like it, God will give you the strength and the power to keep on going. You may be feeling like throwing in the towel or giving up. God says he gives strength to those who wait on him. God will give you the strength to keep working on that marriage when you think it's hopeless. God will give you the strength to pick yourself up and dust yourself off after you've had a business failure. Sometimes I, I mean, people tell me, Rob, I, I wish I had faith like that. I wish I had the faith to obey God immediately when I don't understand it. I wish I had the faith to trust God completely when I don't feel like it. So, Rob, how do I get that kind of faith? How do I get more faith? Because I just don't have it. And I think there's two ways that God builds faith into our lives. The first way God builds faith into our lives is through His Word, through the Bible. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So as I read my Bible, as I study the Bible, as I meditate on God's Word, He helps me become more and more like Him, and it builds my faith. That's why we encourage you to read your Bible. That's why we encourage you to have a quiet time, and each day read a little bit out of the Bible and talk to God in prayer. Do it regularly, because it builds your faith. But there's a second way that God builds your faith, and that's through testing us. He tests your faith. 1 Peter 1.6, he says, There's a wonderful joy ahead, even though the going is rough for a while down here. Did you get that? Life gets rough down here. We go through rough patches. We go through rough stuff. How many of you would agree with that? Have you, have you ever gone through a rough patch in life? Yeah, maybe you are right today. Well, here's what Peter's insight is. These trials are only to test your faith, to see whether or not it is strong and pure. It's being tested as fire tests gold and purifies it. And your faith is <clears throat> far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried in the test tube of fiery trials, it will bring to you much praise and glory and honor on the day of his return. Now, I'm, I'm behind time here today, so let me just quickly give you the four, four most common ways God tests your faith. God tests your faith through difficulties. We're all acquainted with that. Problems, pressure, trial, trouble, difficulty. The second thing, God tests our faith through demands. He asks us to do things that sometimes we think they're impossible, like take this little boy's lunch and feed 5,000 people. He asks us to do things we don't understand. Pray for this church to grow. How big, Lord? Big. Four, God tests our faith through dollars. He uses our finances. God tests our faith through delays. <clears throat> he often makes us wait for things. So right now, are you doing anything in your life that requires you to take a risk? Are you doing anything right now in your Christian life that requires you to step out in faith. Because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is what makes the difference between existing and just really living. From going through life bored to death or going through life with the greatest adventure you can imagine. Okay, I'm getting kind of ready to come in for a landing here. 
I want to summarize for a couple minutes what I've been saying. What does God want to say to you today? Here's what I think God wants to say. Go for it. When you know it's the right thing to do, when you know it's something that you should be doing, when you know that it's something that God wants you to do, then go for it. Do it. The history of Silver Creek Fellowship is a history of stepping out and doing things that other churches either can't or won't do. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. A friend of mine goes to a different church than ours was sent here to spy on us for a year. They liked what we were doing. Our church was growing. Our youth group was growing. Our children's program was growing. They liked, what we were, they liked the results, so they sent a spy among us. He wrote a report. He told me when he was here that he was a spy. He wrote a report, and when he went back to his church, he said, this is what they're doing, and this is why they're growing. And you know what his church said? We can't do that. Well, maybe they can't, and maybe they shouldn't. But God has given us a vision for this city, a calling for this city, and he's telling us, go for it, do it. God's doing something wonderful with this church. Don't miss what I'm saying. It isn't because we're so special. It isn't because we're so gifted. God's doing something wonderful with us because we've chosen to believe Him and to obey Him. And if you do the same, God will do the same for you. There's a story in the Bible about a blind man named Bartimaeus. In Mark chapter 10, let me just read this to you. Verse 46, they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the church people told him. No, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder. You have those kind of people in church sometimes. You tell him, knock it off, be nice, be quieter, but no. He just made him shout louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat and jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see and Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus on the road. Bartimaeus called out to Jesus in faith, believing that Jesus could do something for him. Jesus could heal him. And I want you to see something. Before Bartimaeus met Jesus, he was sitting beside the road. After he received his sight from the Lord, he followed Jesus on the road. Let me ask you, which of those two phrases best describes your life? Are you sitting beside the road, or are you following Jesus on the road? Let me ask another question. Which of those two lifestyles do you think is more fulfilling? Which of those two lifestyles do you think offers more meaning, more joy, more satisfaction? And maybe even a better question, 
Which of those two lifestyles do you want to represent your life? Bartimaeus had no idea that Jesus was going to come by that day. To him, I think it was just another day. But God gave him an unexpected opportunity that offered him a fresh start. And today, God's offering you an opportunity for a fresh start. So what's the step God wants you to take today? I think it was obvious the day God went by Bartimaeus, what he wanted, he was blind. But if Jesus asked you, what do you want me to do for you today? What would you say? Today's God given you the opportunity to take a next step. Before he passes you by, I don't, I don't know what step you need to take, but I think you do. Maybe your next step is, is the first step, that you need to invite Jesus Christ to come into your life as Lord and Savior. Maybe you've done that, but you've been waiting for whatever reason to get baptized, and you need to do that. When we do all these baptisms at Silver Creek, every time you get a tinge, I probably should do that too. Or maybe to join a church. If not this church, some church. Or to be generous with somebody who's in need. Or maybe God's been telling you, you need to take some time to rest and take care of yourself. Or maybe God's been saying, you, you need to choose to rely on me instead of yourself. I don't know what your next step is, but I do know this, you have one. God will never be finished taking you to the next and deeper step. There's always a next step. And if you don't take the next step, friends, you'll just get stuck in a rut. And the only difference between a grave and a rut is just a depth. If you don't move forward in faith, your heart will grow cold and you'll grow more distant from God. And by the way, he's not going to help you with steps two, three, four, and five until you take step one. If you've been asking God to help you with something, maybe he's asking you, why haven't you done what I told you to do? Maybe you've been planning to do something. Well, friends, stop planning and do it. Stop planning and just do it. The only way to follow Jesus on the road is to take the next step because faith is believing. Faith is more than thinking, talking. Faith is more than having convictions about Jesus. Faith is action. Faith is movement. It's an activity. Faith is something that you do. We're on a mission to put this world back to rights. There's nothing more significant in the world than what we're doing here at Silver Creek Fellowship. We're building the kingdom of God. I believe the adventure that God has set before us will release the highest hopes and biggest dreams that God has for you, both individually and as a church family. It's a high calling. God's calling you to make a difference. God's calling you to give your life to something that's bigger than yourself. Friends, this is not the time to play it safe. This is not the time to go mellow. This is a time for you to go for it. God's on a mission to bring his lost children home. He's looking for people to use. In fact, he's looking right into this meeting right now. And he's got his eye on you. 
The Bible says this, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Father search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. You got that? God's on the lookout for people. His eyes are searching the whole earth. He's looking for people to join with Him in this great adventure. That's why He brought you here today. Of all the people in the world that God could have brought here today, He brought you. God brought you here today. You, you may not even have any clue that that's what was happening this morning when you got up. But God brought you here because He wanted you to hear me say this to you. I want to use you. Not somebody else. I want to use you. God is looking for people to use. This is God's call to you today. God says, I want to use you. What will your response be? <coughs> I've, I've given you a couple boxes to check the bottom of your sermon note. God knew you'd be here. He knew you'd be listening. And I want to challenge you. What is your response today? Will you be sitting beside the road? Or will you be following Jesus on the road? Why don't you take a moment? <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to call the band to come back. We're going to sing a song. And during the song, more than the words of the song, I want you to think about it. What is God calling me to do? Am I going to be sitting beside the road? Or am I going to be following Jesus down the road?